Hey everybody, welcome to the Cinema Nerd Presents Made in the 90s. My name is Kyle Woods. I am here with my buddy Dylan Shore, a well-respected monster, and I am to date not. We're going to talk about Batman Returns. Dylan, what is it? Uh, Batman Returns is the sequel to Tim Burton's 1989 film, Batman, and this was released in 92. So we're starting here because we have very hard rules that we do not ever stray from. I did watch Batman 89, though, in the lead up for this. Did you? (laughs) Yeah. So we'll probably talk a little Batman 89 in here also. Yeah, because I got got some maybe unpopular opinions to say about it. Oh, interesting. Oh, man, I'm excited to get into it. So before we do, have you seen anything else you want to talk about? Yes. Uh, So first, I'm just going to say this one isn't a movie, but at the beginning of quarantine, a song popped into my Discover Weekly on my Spotify, and it's like this 80s fucking jam that came out in 2018. And I was like, this song's amazing. And so I listened to the whole album. There, uh, it's like, it's a 30 minute album maybe. And the band is called Dante High. Oh yeah, for sure. They're from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. North Carolina. Yeah. They are fucking incredible. I wrote them on Instagram to get a copy of the vinyl. I fucking loved it. That's it's, dope, man. It's highly recommended. Uh, and then- That's awesome. Thanks for bringing that in. Yeah, of course. Got to throw in little different things here and there. Whatever you're loving, man, especially these days. Yep. Uh, rewatched They Live. Uh, <laughs> I love that movie. Uh, classic. Yeah. It's good, cheesy. He thought it was going to be more of a horror. And like about 20 minutes in, he was like, this is a horror movie? I'm like, mm, it's more of a sci-fi action movie. Uh, I mean, it just has like, like horror elements of like people aliens kind of like uh invasion of the body snatchers in a way yeah well like they're they're the demons right he can see through who the real evil people are and actually it's sort of like um uh uh, what's the bill paxton matthew mcconaughey frailty frailty it's got that kind of thing going forward it's like no he really can see the demons the sunglasses give him that power so they're, they're not demons they're aliens Oh, okay. It's been a while since I've seen it. They are aliens? Yeah, yeah. Right on. Uh, uh, but yeah, classic movie, great cheesy lines. And then uh, <laughs> he, uh, my roommate wanted to, he's not big into horror, and he was like, I want to watch like some classic horrors that I should see. And oh, he saw Night of the Living Dead on like a list. And I was like, oh yeah, I'd be down to watch that. It's all worth it for the ending of that movie. It's Mm. phenomenal. And uh, right before we were starting it, I was like, man, I wish the original Dawn of the Dead, I've been trying to find a copy of the original Dawn of the Dead on Blu-ray. There's DVD copies for like 70 bucks, but Blu-ray copies are like 180. And yeah, they're expensive. And I was just like raving about it because I, I love that original one so much. And I haven't seen it since I was a kid because Blockbuster never even carried that movie on VHS. It was only at a mom and pop store that I could rent near my grandma's place. <laughs> and uh, so I'd seen it a few times as a kid and 
he like started researching the movie and we just started night in the living dead and no joke the most popular line of the movie he's like i'm coming to get they're coming to get you barbara and he goes dude dude he turns off the movie and he goes to youtube and there's a full 4k blu-ray release of the original dawn of the dead on youtube free with ads there's like six ads throughout the whole movie it's oh my god it made my night i tripped the fuck out watched it fully and then i knew there was an extended version of the movie but didn't realize it's on youtube as well so i'm gonna go back and watch that extended version because i've never watched it right on yeah i haven't seen the extended version either that's crazy what's happening with rights and publication these days you know why can't we just slap that 4k on a blu-ray and everybody makes money and can have it wild right put it out for fucking 20 30 bucks don't make it a 180 dollars special limited edition thing well right and who's uh, whatever i'm not gonna go into all that stuff that's uh insanity to me and uh keep your physical media guys if you got copies of it don't let them go and the last thing I watched was the Comedy Store documentary on Showtime. Cool. Very, very good. Uh, Mike Binder made it, who was a former stand-up comedian, turned actor, turned writer, director. Yeah. Uh, man, it's just so, like, heartfelt, and you learn crazy stories of the store. Uh, the, the season finale goes into... Um, like creating a bit and the uh whole pc culture and cancellation of certain comedians obviously there's some comedians that deserve what (laughs) what they did but uh uh it's really good i can't recommend it highly enough especially if you've ever gone to the store and spent a whole fucking night there watching just random I remember being there one night until like two in the morning and probably like, yeah, it was like two, they closed the doors and Dice closed out the show for two hours. He just came in and got up on stage and it was so weird because like I know Dice's humor and he wasn't doing Dice. Yeah. (laughs) Dice is a a character, you know what I mean? Like Andrew Dice Clay is a comedian. Actually, Oh, buddy, I just saw, what's that movie? With, oh, um, the Adventures of Ford Fairlane? I haven't seen that. Oh. oh, oh, that's his movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, And if, if you haven't seen it, give yourself kid. a little treat, because it's a blast. Yeah, they talk about that in the documentary. So <laughs> the point is that, you know, Dice is a caricature. He's a, you know, he's Slim Shady. He's not the, he's an artistic persona, not the artist. All of that and how he kind of got canceled in a way. Right. Then all of a sudden with Entourage, Doug Lyman, the creator's like, no, dude, I know what you are. I know you are one of the greatest comedians ever. And I'm going to make this whole season about you. And he, (laughs) put dice back in the spotlight and then he got fucking woody allen's movie he just did a star is born he's yeah. doing like all these like dramatic roles now and fuck it yeah let him come back yeah he's he's good he is good he a good actor he a funny man i'll take it and that's it how about you right on uh i don't have a ton i will talk about one non-movie thing 
um, which is because uh, in the interest of full disclosure, and this will come up, I'm sure, as we unpack the movie that is Batman Returns, but we were recording this on Election Day 2020. So in the lead up to that, I have been trying to keep my brain inside of my skull and I resort to like really comforting things, you know, just the most inane stuff. And for whatever reason, this week, that was Cougar Town. Ooh, never got into that one. It's not good. Uh, Busy Phillips, right? Okay, I want to talk about Busy Phillips because she's the reason to watch this show. Okay, yeah, I dig on Busy a lot. She's good, man. And this is a really excellent use of her talents. But it's not just her talents. She gets a chance to act. And so many, I'm kind of on the soapbox a lot, but performances that are capturing sort of vapid people or otherwise idiotic presences get overlooked. And it's so hard to do well. And it's Mm -hmm. even harder to create that persona and give humanity to it. And she manages to do both of those things in this like pretty lazy sitcom, you know? So uh, she's the reason that I'm still watching it. Who's the star? Is it Courtney Cox? It's Courtney Cox. Yeah, and it's um, uh, Bill, uh, uh, Jesus, the man who created Scrubs and Spin City. It's his follow-up to Scrubs. And so the other reason I really like it is because it's at ABC. So it's got that ABC Studios sheen to it, you know? I really like the kind of oversaturated backlot vibe. <laughs> and I'll watch a lot of stuff just because of that energy, you know? You like that different housewives feel. Dude, I mean, I, I'm not going to say no. No, so this is like Desperate Housewives if it were only about desperate alcoholics. And I uh, was trying to be, I think Desperate Housewives is funnier. <laughs> but Mark maybe. Cherry, right? Mark Cherry did Desperate Housewives. Yeah. Mac Cherry? No, Mark Cherry. Mark, Mark Mac Cherry. Cherry. But yeah. this will also have like twice an episode, it will have a very, very good joke. So it's the kind of thing that's really great to have on in the background while you're getting other stuff done. And that's what I've been leaning on this week. I'm not going to defend it, but I am disclosing it. The movie stuff, though, and, well, actually, (laughs) in a similar response, um, no, that's not entirely accurate. My wife wanted to put it on. So we watched uh, Django Unchained because she had never seen it. Nice. That movie fucking rules, man. I, you know. Dude, I agree. Uh, I think it's Leo's best, like, character, like, creation of something. Uh, But it's not my favorite of his like movies and it's not even my favorite Tarantino but I think my favorite Leo movie now is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like I've rewatched that oh I've seen it over 30 times and I listen to it when I'm driving in my car because I have a DVD player yeah. so when I'm driving it just plays the audio yeah I I enjoy that movie so much I think it's perfect it's Tarantino's best original film i jackie brown might still be my favorite tarantino but it's not like his original story he adapted it from rum punch but kind of took his own little twist on it but i I think hollywood might uh might take it 
Yeah, I, I mean, when you said that Django is Leo's most fully formed character, Rick Dalton popped into my head. I was like, I, I, I don't know, man. I agree. I. Oh man, yeah. I think Rick Dalton is a little more calmer, and like Rick Dalton seems like he could play Calvin Candy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing that I, I respond to so much in Leo's performance and the writing of that movie. The whole, like the stuff where I'm really on board, especially the second time I saw it, are the scenes where Rick Dalton is before the eight whiskeys, eight goddamn whiskey before that, when he's fucking up the line. <laughs> Those scenes are so goddamn good watching an actor process and then when you have to realize that you're watching an actor act like an actor processing i mean it's this ouroboros that is really adeptly executed mm -hmm. um, but django <laughs> obviously it's just so resonant in terms of the way that our country is built and the the conversations it reminds me a lot of I, so here's the thing is, I think I might like Quentin Tarantino Westerns more than anything else, because I really like The Hateful Eight a lot. I do. That's and, like, for how much of a Western that one is, it plays on a lot of horror elements, too. It's really good. Very tense, yeah, like, especially. Oh, like, he directly takes, like, shots from the thing. Mm -hmm. Like, them going to the outhouse and, like, setting the line to the outhouse. Like, it's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, he uh, steals from the best and takes it to somewhere else. He's that's his talent for sure. Absolutely. But the the way that he can script a thing to make it on its face hilarious and embarrassing, and also broadly referential to our current state. I'm thinking of the scene with uh, Big Daddy when they first get to Don Johnson. And mm -hmm. he's trying to explain how to treat Jamie Foxx. And they're just like, well, no, not like a white man. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, no, not, not, wait, hang on. And that just is still <laughs> where we that, that special boy in town. Jimmy. You treat him like Jimmy. <laughs> oh, it's so enraging, but it's so excellent. You know, it just is. Um, he good, man. I like it a lot. So those, that's just a couple of things that I've seen. Should Did we talk? Watch, uh, the Netflix extended edition of Hateful Eight? I must have, yeah, because I watched it on Netflix about a year ago. You broke it up into four episodes. Like you can watch episode by episode by episode and each one's like an hour long and each episode has more extended scenes. To oh, make no, but I wish I had. Four hour production. Wow. Oh, I'd love to see that. No, I haven't seen it. That sounds incredible. Because I, I could watch another, like, four hours of Hateful Eight. I like that movie a lot. You should watch it. It's, I love it. I've actually been meaning to go back and rewatch it. Yeah, I definitely will. Awesome. Thanks for the recommendation. Yep. All right. Batman Returns. It's a Christmas <laughs> movie. It is. First Christmas movie. On Yay. It's a pretty dark Christmas movie. I mean, let's see. Darker Christmas movies than this. Bad Black Santa. Christmas. Wait, what was that? Bad Santa. Bad Santa. Home for the Holidays? That's Thanksgiving. Oh, shit. 
Uh, oh, no, no, I'm thinking of Family Stone. Love Family Stone. And I'm, what are you saying? That's such a sweet movie. Yeah, kind let's of. Let's do Family Stone. We should add that into the Christmas list. <laughs> okay, let's do it, actually. Let's do it, because I kind of have different feelings about it. So we'll talk about Family Stone another time. <laughs> all right, cool. Right uh, Back to this right. movie and some stuff that I really like right off the top is it's just like a cavalcade of actors, you know? And so like we talked about in True Romance and actually again about Christopher Walken, where every so often you realize, oh, I'm just watching Christopher Walken act against, you, you know, in that movie, a, a cavalcade of really awesome actors. And mm -hmm. here, the scenes with him and Danny DeVito, I'm just like, I got my, my hands on my cheeks. It's so, so cool. Like at, when he's in the cage at the end, I'm just like, oh my God, dude, these are two powerhouse hitters right here just going at it. I love it. Uh, don't get me wrong, this movie's got some crazy shit in it, uh, but it works. I think it's, I think I saw this one first. I think I, I definitely have seen this one more. I don't know that I saw it first, but I've definitely seen this one more. I'm certainly much more familiar with it. And I agree with you that it works. I have one kind of like, I think one of the legs of this thing is a little wobbly. And for me, it's Catwoman. Really? Yeah. yeah. Um, I have two kind of big problems with it. And one of them is just, you know, it's a Hollywood thing, so I won't spend too much time here. But setting up Michelle Pfeiffer as like, the you know pitiful nobody wants her yeah it, it, what are we talking about here you know what i mean it well, just it, I know. they do that in every fucking movie <laughs> it, it, right right but so that's rough and like i said i'll, I'll forgive them that just because I, i'm not going to forgive them but i'm not going to spend time on it just because it's hollywood that's how that's what you guys do okay fine but where it goes from there and the rest of the stuff that she's doing, I feel a little, well, a lot conflicted. At, at, po at points, I think she's doing an Eartha Kitt impersonation. Ooh. And I, I wish she... The raspiness. And the sort of, yeah, the raspiness and the, like, the pacing of it. She's really got a long speech pattern. And yeah, really... Yeah. And the lines are also written, they feel like they're written for Eartha Kitt, you know? And they're not out of tone with this movie. I actually think the tone of this movie lands, you know? It, it's impressive how silly it gets to be and how dark it can be. I don't think Michelle Pfeiffer's ever given a bad performance, right? I think that this movie doesn't really know what her character is. Like, is it a chance to, are we just playing camp or are we doing something new here? And I think that kind of lies at the feet of Tim Burton, you know, where like when she gets in the costume, it's so cool. Yeah. And then she doesn't really have a lot to do. That's not Tim Burton's fault, right? That's a scripting thing. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I want her to, I don't know. I, it's everybody's problem. It, it just doesn't quite gel for me, you know? I'm gonna, I like, Batman doesn't even show up for like, the first 12, 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. And it's a very subdued superhero movie for being a 90s superhero movie. Like, it, it's, it's got, like, I guess the tone is pretty consistent throughout, 
but like there's so many layers to the story like you get max shrek who this fucking conglomerate fucking businessman who tries to baron secretary and uh then you have an orphaned boy that's born with uh, claw hands and he's abandoned by his parents in a river uh paul rubens uh, uh, just random, random. Let's throw Paul in there. I I'll love any Pee-wee I can get. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and they fucking lock him in a cage. What in the beginning of the movie? Like it's it's dark and weird. And then when Danny DeVito comes, um, like he's already been, um. Uh, like appropriated appropriated to the the townspeople they know who he is they don't think he's like a bad guy or anything because he's trying to pin everything on batman uh it like it's weird and then he get like uh, this the weirdest thing to me is his duck his duck his duck boat car like i loved it as a kid but like seeing it as an adult i'm like where the what? what? I like that stuff. I think that's kind of where the movie succeeds is mashing these tones together of this like surrealist uh, horror. You know, it, it's all these very childlike images that have been taken to their furthest extremes, and you get horror from that. Yeah, I'm just like picturing though. Like, I guess. I wonder if I would if I had seen this as an adult for the first time back in the day versus being a kid, if it would have landed because it is weird. It gets weird. It it's it gets weird. It starts weird. I think it's fucking penguins. What's that? <laughs> penguins taking Danny DeVito's body down to the water. Like what? The right, fuck? And they're like strapped with rockets. It's insanity. But, and this is maybe the, just the, I'm going to get into it. And it's probably the context of the current day is influencing me a lot. But what we have here is a robber baron in Christopher Walken, who's trying to control the political system in propping up a literal monster, an actual ghoul in Danny DeVito and then loses control of the asset because this thing that they've propped up, this visage that they've created is not theirs to manipulate because he doesn't play by the same rules. He's only driven by his id, right? Because he had had no civilizing process of child rearing. He never learned the rules of society. He only exists in an animal state. When he has to perform against society, even if it's to manipulate society, he can't be relied upon because he's not a member of society. He's apart from this thing. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is Donald Trump is a ghoul. And he, he was a thing that some people saw value in but can't be relied upon because he's only driven by his hollowness. There's nothing inside of him. 
and there's nothing inside of Penguin either. And that's why his shit is just like, oh, I'm, I'm all wrapped in iconography, right? I'm the Penguin man, so that's why I got a duck boat. That's why I- Does the Penguin feel that way because he was abandoned by his parents? Or so is he- I like where that issue, where that idea starts from. In the first half of the movie, Penguin's plight reminds me a lot of Jordan Peele's Us from last year where it, it really is about uh was it two years ago was it last year oh, dude i don't even fuck i think know. it was early last year i think it was like early okay. 2019 but it doesn't that, matter that um, but it's very much about the the underclass and how we we push the things that we're uncomfortable with underground so we don't have to look at it but we rely on it every single day and the question becomes what do we do or how do we as the people who have been cast aside by the elite create a life exist as human beings still and even the sort of like lupita nyongo's growl and danny devito's exhalations have this echo in each other so i wanted i well, i didn't want i i thought that's where we were moving and then it's like oh no no he's pure depravity Mm-hmm. it's not he he does represent the underclass but he represents like a mentally ill underclass and no more than that like a, a the easily exploitable underclass like well i mean frankly the you know the average white man in america the working class white man who like really is a victim and <clears throat> can be very easily manipulated into monstrosity those things exist simultaneously and are dependent upon each other. Mm -hmm. And I I do think this movie has those ideas in mind. I'm not just like pulling stuff out of thin air. This stuff is in the text, but it kind of points to what I'm seeing with the movie where it's like, oh, there's something that just doesn't quite come together. And I think it's because Tim Burton maybe maybe even the original one has like a little bit to say but it's not a like i think batman returns is the best tim burton batman and the any of the 90s batman we'll get into the other ones later but this one just it hits it hits all the right notes for me like you said even for how insane it goes it still hits the right notes for me the only thing that i don't I wish wasn't in there are a lot of the cheat like there's not many cheesy lines up until kind of like midway through third act ish and like then you get like a heaping of them with penguin going blonde dart <laughs> and doing that and then catwoman's definitely got a couple cheesy lines too um I'm once she becomes catwoman all of her dialogue is bad that's Still, Selena Kyle, it's at least something. But as Catwoman, this is what I was saying, where it's like, I, oh, I think it's just an Eartha Kit highlight reel at this point. I like that she's Selena Kyle a lot. I do too. It's better when she's Selena Kyle. Yeah, uh, even though the costume looks amazing for Catwoman. It's, it's incredible. Dope looking. Uh, but I, I think my favorite scene this time around was... Uh, her and Bruce Wayne having the dance and the realization that they are one another. And 
whoa, what a great, powerful scene not done with exposition dialogue or anything. Just uh, recalling a line from earlier. Yeah. Solid stuff. And two really good actors in a scene where they get to react against each other. It's, a, it's phenomenal. And this movie has a lot of that stuff. You know, yeah. that's not the only one. Uh, and her line, when the realization happened, she's like, she's, I, I'm going to flub it a little bit, but she's like, do we have to fight now? Like, that's yeah. a good line. That's and a good line. His response is something like, well, should we go outside? He or says, I think he says, like, no, not here. Let's step outside. Something like that. <laughs> but then immediately as they walk out of frame, Penguin blows up the hole and comes up in his duck. <laughs> Yes, he does. Um, speaking of delightful things, really early on, I was enamored by Walken's son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a painting of them in the office, and Walken's sitting down, and the son is on top, like, like resting. Yeah, with a hand on the shoulder. And I was like, who's this guy? <laughs> Like, I didn't have a recollection of it. And then, like, he comes in a minute or two later. I was like, oh, oh, that, I was like, is that Max Shrek's dad with his fucking hand on it? <laughs> that stuff's all really, I mean, I, I think it's making a comment, or at least I'm reading a comment about nepotism and uh, certainly seeing a lot of uh, Eric Trump, actually. The guy kind of, like, visually looks like Eric Trump. Yeah, but, the hair and everything. yeah. But the, the part that I'm really delighted by is that he, the actor is doing a Christopher Walken impression through the entire movie. And it's actually pretty good. Dad. Dad, you got to get out of here. <laughs> I love it. I also like that, like, Penguin is, like I said, he's, he's driven only by himself but he is a manipulator. He understands that. So like the <laughs> scene when he's leaving the cemetery, he gives uh -huh. this speech that's like Proustian, you know, and he, he's delivering it with the gravitas of, I don't know, Kenneth Branagh at Summerfest. He, <laughs> you know, he's really doing a like pretty Shakespearean reading and then immediately turns back to his just like grumble and you know. Yeah. So I think he understands that he's a, I, I, don't know, I don't think he fully understands himself, but he knows his own power. I think Danny DeVito portrayed that very nicely. Like I do too. I, I, I mean, DeVito's a master. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing that always, like, I think this movie introduced me to tasers. Okay. I have such a distinct, uh, like, fearful memory of watching this as a kid and in the beginning when selena kyle's walking on the street and the dude like grabs her puts the taser to her batman comes pulls the wall knocks him out but then selena kyle picks up the taser and like and then shocks the dude with it i remember being like oh shit that's scary i don't that's uh i don't know for some reason that just always stood out as a kid yeah, I can see that insert now that you mention it. It, it is buried pretty deeply in there, but I, I, you know, didn't tick any boxes for me on this viewing, but now that you mention it. And I think this poster is badass. 
It's a good poster. Fucking A, it's a good poster. Yeah. I like I like the sort of rounded, you know, everybody like stacked on top of each other, the penguins below. Oh man, it's beautiful. It is. It's really good. And it it tell like the original poster, boring as fuck. It's just the bat symbol. Uh I don't know I, if that's boring. I, th- I, you know, I think it's incredibly iconic. It is iconic. Okay, I'm sorry. It's iconic, but it's not. It's simple. It's nothing flashy. Although I guess there are variations on the original poster now. Like, but when it first came out, it was just the bat symbol, right? Yeah. No, that was the first one, and it, it like I think the very first ones were just the bat symbol, and then eventually it had the bat symbol and then names. Gotcha. I In wonder. If, like, obviously, that was a very. Uh, uh, they were trying a uh, marketing. They knew what they were doing with that because, I think they they didn't know how the movie was actually gonna do. So they weren't trying to spend any extra money on something that didn't need to be done, maybe? Like, I, I take a different read on that. I think, because this is, you know, this movie launched the modern era of Hollywood. It is why we are 20 Marvel movies deep now. They were really scared about this movie. I don't believe they thought it was going to do as well because superhero movies before had not really been anything. Uh, there, it was uh, like the death, like all those Superman movies. Superman movies. The, uh, and that's Warner Brothers too. So that's why they were probably fearful of another superhero series. And I, I think the second ones weren't even planned. I think it was just, let's do this first one. If it does okay, you'll get greenlit for a second one. I think it's a, a, like a sign of the times thing. The Superman movies were, some of them critically reviled, but fairly successful, right? Yeah, but I think they did decline. Right, every movie does. You know, like if you, the, um, the not- Dark Knight trilogy from Nolan. Had, yeah, but Batman, you know, Batman was not that. It, like these ones, they kept going up in money. They kept making more money. Right. Uh, are we calling these... Uh, so Batman Returns made more money than Batman. I believe so. Here, I'll pull it up. Yeah, let's pull it up. Let's take a look. The other thing I'll say about that is that there, it's not a, a trilogy and it's not like a series. It, it, That's true. It's a little unfair to count these 90s Batman movies as one thing. I think you have two well, movies. Nolan, What's Nolan, that? Nolan didn't plan on doing Dark Knight. That ending of the Joker card, he was like, I, I just threw that in there to, you know, have a cliffhanger, but I was not planning on making another movie. Hmm. Um, okay, so let's see. Oh my God, the first Batman was only made for $35 million. In uh, 1989, the- though. So huh? that, in 1989. Yes. Right, so okay. we're still probably looking at nearish $100 million at this point. E- easily, easily. Uh, box office four hundred and eleven point six million. That's probably worldwide and everything. Wow. Batman Returns. Okay, I might be wrong here. 
65 to 80 million for Batman Returns for budget, box office 282.8 million. That might just be US. I don't know if that's global. Hmm. Box In- office. Interesting yeah. to get that a breakdown. That's a worldwide total. 282 worldwide. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, if, okay. if it had made way more money than the first one, there would be a third one that Tim Burton directed because that's how Hollywood works. It yeah, I think Tim wanted to do uh, – what did he move on to? I think he did Mars Attacks right after this. I think he wanted to do something original. I love Mars Attacks. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> but even still, they would have been like, yeah, fine, Tim, you, you can make Mars Attacks, but you also will accept a dump truck full of money because we got to get another one of these. And that's not I mean, happened. He produced it. He produced the next one, and they pushed it out three years later? What is How nine- did that one make? Let's see. Batman Forever made. I'll go 150. That's my over-under. I think we're under 150. Budget, 100 million. Box office, 336.6 million. Okay. Okay. Now let's see Batman and Robin, which we will be doing on a later podcast. But we're going to talk about these movies. Um, Batman and Robin, 160 million. Budget? Box office. Yeah, budget. Box office, $238.2 million. So it's Ooh. almost the same tra- trajectory for Joel Schumacher. Like, his first one made a buttload of money. Second one died off by probably a little over $100 million. Okay. Um, oh, I, I can't think- wait till we get into Batman and Robin. It's, dude, I, there's some production stuff that is nuts. Uh, I don't want to get into it on this one because it'll be fun for that one. I just have to say the the one that always is in my mind is the there's a they do an editing rock when um, Robin comes out of the water in Poison Ivy's lair. Mm-hmm. They whatever happened with the rest of that shot, they don't get him coming all the way out of the water. They just flip it and reverse it, so you see him like barely rise above the water and then just sink back into the water in the exact same path. And it was oh, really- I can't wait to pick up on that. Yeah, it was like the first time as a child I was, I became aware of the artifice of editing, where I was just like, wait, that's, what, ha- what? I'm watching this in a theater, and now I don't understand what movies are anymore. The fun fact that I have, should I save it for Batman and Robin? But yeah, it, it, it out now, and then we'll, we'll savage it later on. Okay. Uh, Sch- Schumacher turned the movie in I believe, hold on, I don't want to, like, fuck it up. Uh, And I'm not going to find it here fully, but I'll find it for the next one. But he turned the movie in, like, three months ahead of schedule. Okay. He, like, I'm just saying, that editing that you... Like, clearly, there's some bad editing in this movie. He turned it in three months ahead of schedule. He had plenty of time to change shit. Warner Brothers could have said something. That's not an editor's problem. That's an editor's solution. Good on the editor for taking junk footage and cobbling together a story. 
Joel Schumacher had three months for reshoots on a $160 million budget. Yeah. Okay. We'll save it and get all, we'll do more research and get into it later on. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. So back to Batman Returns. Uh, I want (laughs) to shout out a couple of more just like insane political things that uh, I couldn't ignore. At one point, Christopher Walken says the people have lost all faith in symbols when he's describing the reason that he's able to pull off these political shenanigans. Mm-hmm. And that's important to remember. There are ideologies and our, our sense of identities have become increasingly hollow and we need to value our gods, whatever they are. They need to be meaningful in your life and they're just not in modern society and it's uh, unfortunate. Yes. Um, and the other um, thing that I, I want to shout out, and then I'll get off the political stuff because I got one more joke to make, but uh, the thing that works that like brings down Penguin is that they play a recording of his words, telling the truth about his feelings, and it works. And I was just like, oh man, all those recordings of Donald Trump telling the truth about what he's doing, and people are just like, nah, that can't be. And I long for this comic book world where people pay attention to things that are being said to them out loud. And it's just as mystifying the way that because we don't believe in symbols anymore, we don't understand our connection to our reality through our abstractions of expression, anything is possible. And boy, what a mess. What a mess. (sighs) I digress. Okay, I'll take it back to some fun places. Right before Christopher Walken gets locked in the cage, he brings Danny DeVito a fish. That's how he gets him. He's just like, no, no, come with me. Come with me. I got you a little fish right here, right here. (laughs) And then it was in that moment that Tusk came to my mind. Oh, yes. So good. I just like that they're treating him like an actual fish person where it's like, oh, okay, he's a a penguin man. He wants the fish. Great. He does. And he does. He does. He wants it. <laughs> He's been eating it his whole life. Right. Um, uh, oh, man, what was I going to say? Oh, well, speaking of Penguin, when he comes out of the water at the end and the black blood yeah. coming out, oh, that's a frightening image. That image stayed with me a lot. So that's my version of the Taser movie, the black goo in his mouth. Yeah, same. that's another one that stayed with me as well. It's frightening looking. Informed my childhood. <laughs> uh, so, the first one. Let's talk about it. The best thing to me about the first one is the acting. From everyone, I think is actually really good. I don't care for the story, and I don't care much for... Like the direct, there's some cool directing and some cool shots in there, but like overall, it's not, it just, it doesn't stick with me. Well, Batman Returns gets nutso with set design, where it, that's where I really love it. And Batman 89 is a fairly reserved movie for as insane as it becomes. And I think that speaks to your point more than anything else, where it's like, well, we don't know if this is going to work. So let's try and meet reality halfway 
you yeah, know? Yeah, a darker reality. Right, but still, like, you know, the Joker's face, like that, the, the mirror, the mirror. We're taking mm-hmm. a scene to, like, explain his insane smile. And so even if that's movie logic, we're still trying to ground it, right? Yeah. We're giving the audience this anchor to hold on to. Like, no, there's a reason he's like this. Come with us for the rest of the story. I don't know that it, it's certainly not necessary today in 1989. I can't say anything about whether it was necessary or not, but I like that scene. And, yeah. and like, I, I bet if I had seen this, I wasn't even born. If I had seen the 1989 one in theaters, I didn't even see Batman Returns in theaters. I both saw them on VHS, but I clearly, oh man, it's not clear, but I feel like I watched batman returns first because my brother and sister had the vhs tape so when i was like five fucking pop that shit in it was just a more like the the poster the cover of the vhs tape just stood out more than the batman symbol hmm. yeah that's Maybe fair enough yeah but i'm not saying don't watch the first batman because it's definitely worth watching they're so- really pretty good, man. And you know who I, I really liked in the first Batman is, uh, is it Commissioner Gordon? Yeah, that's his name. Yeah. Just the, like, the gravel, you know? And he's so comic booky in a way that strikes a balance that I'm, I'm looking for. It, it works for me very, very well. And Kim Basinger is really good. Like, hey, I'm, I'm just saying it's like, for me, Batman Returns is an A. Uh, Batman is like a B. Like, it's just, I think it's a little crazier and a little more entertaining than the first one. I think Batman 89 succeeds as a complete piece, as an entire story and a, you know, a realized expression. I think it succeeds a little more for me. Okay. I prefer the slightly less successful reaches of Batman Returns. I'm definitely going to put on Batman Returns before I put on Batman. Yeah. But I I do think Batman, you know, if we're judging the movie on its own internal logic and, you know, does it succeed in its goals and express clearly what the text makes available, I think Batman succeeds a little more because it's a cleaner story. It's just a simpler kind of corruption, you know, bad guy origin story. And Batman Returns, like I said, I prefer it because I think it's got a lot on its mind. And it's hard to say all of those things. It's hard to say even one of these things in a movie convincingly. Mm -hmm. And it's also hard for somebody like Tim Burton to say it, you know, because his stuff is sort of psychosocial. He's very in his own head, trying to figure out his place in the world. And Penguin's having that experience, but the reverberations of the experience are so uh, political, social, that there's there's a, a disconnect between the author and the art for me in Batman Returns, that if, I mean, now I'm getting crazy, but who, um, <laughs> you know who I want to see? Oh, who did it? Who did Last Black Man in San Francisco? Um, oh, man. What's the... Um... 
Are you looking it up? Yeah, I am, because he's got a great name. Uh, Joe Talbot? Yes. Yes. There we go. I want to see Joe Talbot's Batman Returns. Okay. <laughs> because it's got that similar sort of unease with the cityscape it understands the the changing nature of the political body and how good guys turn bad and bad guys turn good and at the end of the day there's a a a selfishness to all of it Mm -hmm. that informs our decision making and so an artist like him and it's not fair to judge you know 20 years in the future to 30 years in the future where we've come but I, you know it's just these ideas are a little big for Tim that's where I come down on this thing